The first reading is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, found on page 1219 of the Church Bible. Living for God. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and sober of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use what gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The reading continues. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the huge amount that there is in this passage uh, to encourage us 
during this time in our country and in our lives and in our church. So arm us as we spend time with you in this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are in the fourth part in our series in 1 Peter, and this morning we're going to be growing in suffering. And as we embrace this topic of suffering, I've got to tell you about some little suffering that I endured last weekend. Uh, There were some crazy uh, men in the church who decided that they would go along with me uh, to run part of the Camino. And so two Thursdays ago, we flew into Porto in Portugal, got the train up to the Portuguese-Spanish border, uh, got our running shoes on, and at 3.30 in the afternoon, we started what was going to be uh, 69 and a half hours in total, which included some rest and some sleep and some eating, uh, to run 121 kilometers, I think it was, uh, to get to Santiago de Compostela. Um, and it was a joyful time. Uh, the first day of running was fantastic. The second day I loved, especially when Will Holmes was hobbling around and I wasn't after that. Uh, but then it came to the third day, and that was the crunch time for Guy Axelson. Um, by the 95th kilometer or so, uh, heading up to the end of the third day, my right knee started to get pretty painful. And at that point, I couldn't stop. I just had to carry on going. And as the other two took stops, I knew if I stopped, I wouldn't be starting again. Um, So off I went, and we managed to hit um, this final city of Padron, uh, uh, which is our last stop before Santiago de Compostela. uh, I was sitting up there in a monastery, looking out over the city and reading this book by John Wimber on power evangelism, where he speaks about how Jesus, when he went out to share the kingdom of God, uh, he would go out with power. So he would offer to pray for people who would be healed. And I thought, now I've got a pretty dodgy knee. And if I still believe in a God who intervenes in this world, then I better put this faith and this reading into practice. And so I hobbled up the stairs of the youth hostel where we are staying, where I could find Robin Hawkins and Will Holmes. And I said, lads, do you mind praying for this right knee of mine? And they said, we'll pray. So with everyone else sort of sleeping and uh, snoring and looking and reading around us, these two lads prayed for my knee, having me having hobbled up the stairs. And the amazing thing was, the pain basically went away. Uh, I was able to bend my knee normally again. And when I went down the stairs, I wasn't hobbling. I was able to walk normally down the stairs. It is an absolute joy, and all glory uh, went to God. But the next day, we had the final day of running, 26 kilometers to get to our 121-kilometer total. And I tried to run, uh, and my legs just wouldn't do it. Basically, my knee was too sore to run. Walking was fine, and I could even walk fast. I mean, as fast as they could run up a hill. Uh, But I just could not run on that knee. And everything inside of me broke. All of my pride uh, broke. I love knowing myself to be a good runner. Uh, and I, I was struggling. I was suffering inside while I said to Will and Robin, lads, you go on ahead. I'm going to walk as fast as I can. I felt like an absolute failure having looked forward to this Camino 
for months and months and being able to run uh, the whole thing. And so those two lads went ahead and I watched them on Find My Friends and my phone as they pipped off into the distance. And, and I said to the Lord in my suffering, what am I going to do now as I walk with you? How can I give you glory? We're singing about uh, living for God's glory. How can I give you glory? How can I live for your glory in my suffering right now? And then the obvious idea came into my head that I was about to preach the following Sunday, exactly seven days later, almost to the hour, on growing in suffering. And maybe this had something to do with it. So I flicked my Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 4, and I started reading through the chapter to see if anything applied to someone who was running uh, the, the Camino. And to be honest, I found absolutely nothing. <laughs> it really hurt me again. I found absolutely nothing. Because this passage in 1 Peter chapter 4 isn't about running the Camino and being stupid. Um, I mean, it's, it's not even about suffering in general. Uh, suffering in general is known in theology as, as theodicy, uh, the, the theology of suffering. Why, uh, do good thi- why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, I could have changed it to why do bad things happen to mad people, um, but, but it wasn't that either. You see, if you want a sermon on theodicy, we've got one a couple of months ago, and they're great books to read on the problem of evil. Sharon Dirks has got this book, Why, which is on my reading list. I haven't actually read it, but everyone who's read it, including Trisha Marnham, says it's absolutely brilliant. You could read that. Uh, the book on suffering that I am reading at the moment by C.S. Lewis called The Problem of Pain and if you'd like to join me in that and chat about that, I'm, I'm definitely up for that. Uh, let's talk about theodicy. Let's talk uh, about the problem of pain and why do bad things happen to good people. But 1 Peter chapter 4 isn't about that. And in fact, 1 Peter chapter 4 isn't really even focused on suffering. Because the whole of 1 Peter isn't focused on suffering. It's, it's a book written or a letter written to, to people who disperse the churches all over the place who are suffering. But their focus isn't their suffering. Their focus is living for God and letting the chips fall where they will. Because you see, when we live for God, when we have Christ in us, we find that one of two things happens to people around us. Because one of two things happens to people around Jesus. And Jesus said this in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 to 36. He says, Don't suppose that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Jesus and his message is like Marmite. Or if you want another analogy, Jesus and his message is like a magnet. And when other magnets come around it, they'll either be repelled or they'll be attracted. And we almost don't know what's going to happen when Jesus comes into contact with people. But it's one of those two things. And brothers and sisters, we have Christ in us. We have that magnet of Christ in us. And when people are exposed to Christ in us, 
Either they're repelled or they're attracted. And it's amazing what happens when they're attracted, when they see Christ in us. And so Peter has told his readers to go and live good lives, he said in chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. They may glorify God as they see our good deeds. And he tells them, when people come up to you and say, what is the difference between you and me? You seem to have some hope in you, in your life that I don't have in me. We need to be ready to give an answer to that question. So he says in in chapter 3, verse 15 to 16, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed for their slander. When people become aware of that magnet in us, when they see the hope in us, be prepared to explain Christ and his kingdom. And we see this in our lives, don't we? We see people asking these questions. We see uh, the incredible joy of the magneticism uh, and the attraction. Back in the day in Oxford, MJ and I were running an alpha course in a uh, coffee shop, in fact, in Summertown in Oxford. We were doing it for the church that we're in. We did it with our, our home group. And one of the chaps in this alpha course was called Phil, and he was a policeman. And Phil is how you'd imagine a comic policeman. I mean, he's an absolute mountain of a man, uh, the kind of guy you'd want to save you if, if you're in a difficult situation and you need uh, the strong arm of the law. I mean, Phil could never have been a mounted policeman because he would have been too big for any horse that the police have, except for one of those gigantic ones that look like they could walk over Buckingham Palace. I mean, he might hold a horse under an arm. Uh, Phil, Phil was gigantic, and, and Phil went through day one, two, three, and four, week one, two, three, and four of Alpha, And by the fourth week, he said to us, this just makes complete sense. This Jesus you're talking about is a a man who is God, and I want to give my life for him. I want to live for him. And he came to faith. And Phil, a week or two later, was back in Norfolk, where his ex-wife was living and his daughter And he went to go and pick up his daughter, and his ex-wife said to him, Phil, there's something different about you. She said, I think you're in love. And Phil couldn't contain himself. All he wanted to say is, I am in love, and it's with a man. I'm in love with Jesus, uh, which he told us afterwards. (laughs) A fantastic story. But there there was an attraction in Phil, that magnet in Phil, now that he is living for Christ, and he had... Christ in him. I saw the same joyfully in one of my sisters who gave her life to the Lord in an alpha course and cried on my shoulder. And somehow she said uh, the reason for her going on that alpha course was she saw a change in, in me, her brother. And that change must have been real. That's the attraction. But we also get the opposite side of the magnet. We get the repulsion And I want to say that needs to be normal as well. 
And Peter here is writing to a church who have experienced a repulsion from those who have seen the magnet of Christ in them. So he says in chapter 1, verse 6, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Sharing of Christ, sharing of this hope that you've got, and people turn away from you, away from Christ as a result. And we might ask this question, so what do we do in that case? Peter, give us some tips. In fact, Peter, if you will, give us five points which we can find in chapter 4 to help those of us who experience repulsion. And Peter will say, here we go, here's the first one. Arm yourself with Christ. Verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. Rather for the will of God. And if you flick back to chapter 3, I think it's on that page that you've got open, in fact, in 17 and 18, Peter's already said, For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. When Peter thinks of suffering, his mind doesn't go to himself and his own suffering. Rather, his mind goes to the suffering that he experienced. Christ go through in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he heard Jesus praying out aloud to God, Take this cup, but not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. And as a result of the Father's will being done, we are reconciled with the Father through the Son and his suffering that started in Gethsemane and ended at Calvary on the cross. When we suffer for Christ, we can remember first and foremost that we have been bought by Christ's suffering and that we are safe in that place in that relationship that has been restored, that reconciliation that has been done on the cross know yourself to be bought by suffering and as we arm ourselves with the same attitude as Christ we also need to ask Lord, what is your will for me in the suffering? Because we've got a couple of different answers to this question as we go through the New Testament. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew that it was the Father's will for him to suffer, so he did. But there sometimes, as the apostles are living their lives, and the rest of Jesus' disciples are living their lives in Acts after Pentecost... We see them removing themselves from suffering. We see Paul being stoned and left for dead. And he escapes the city 
soon after. We see Paul being jailed in Philippi and leaving Philippi soon after. There are many times when Christians seem to escape from sufferings, but then there are other times, like when Paul's heading back to Jerusalem and he is told over and over through prophecy that he will suffer when he gets to Jerusalem. A bit like Jesus setting his focus on Jerusalem and heading there even though he knew the suffering that he would endure in that place. And so Paul heads towards Jerusalem, knowing that he's going to suffer there, knowing that he's going to be shipped off to Rome and have to give a defense for the gospel there as well. And my understanding is the only way that we can know whether to stay in suffering or to leave the place of suffering is through prayer and is asking God, what is your will for me in this place? Don't assume that it's a a staying. And don't assume that just because God's put you in a great job in this place, maybe as a doctor or an investment banker or a teacher or a solicitor, don't expect that's where he wants you to be indefinitely. Maybe he wants you to come out of that place and into a new place. But maybe he wants you to stay. And my strong suggestion is annually, Ask the Lord, do you want me to stay here? Ask to stay here. Me to stay in this job. Or is this the time for us to move on? Be ready to go. So that's the first one. Arm yourself with Christ. Here's number two uh, from verses three to seven. Beware of sin. He says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, etc., etc. When suffering comes your way, you will be tempted to go the way of Israel in the desert, who turn back to slavery and think that slavery is better than the freedom that they've got. When you suffer you will be tempted to go back to the passions of the flesh. Go back to what your body desires, rather than to endure for Christ. And Peter's warning them. He's saying, this is what's going to happen. I'm pointing it out now. You've spent enough time living in that lifestyle. You've moved on from that lifestyle. Carry on going. And you know what? If you don't move away from that, something serious is going to happen. And that we see in verse 7. He says, The end of all things is, is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. If our mind is just set on our bodies and the desire of our bodies, we won't be able to focus on God. We won't be able to pray. And therefore we won't be effective for him. He'll say later, a little bit later, that judgment is coming and it's going to start at the house of God. But in this particular section, he says, watch where your mind's going. Because you need to be focused on God so that you can pray. And if you don't pray, how will you know his will for your life? So arm yourself with Christ and then beware of sin. Here's number three, which is verses 8 to 11. 
above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality, he says, and do it without grumbling. Um, Use your gifts that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards. Uh, If anyone speaks, he should be speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And then see God's glory coming through again. To him be the glory, the power, forever and ever. Amen. As we suffer, we need to make sure that we stick together. And we stick together by loving each other. And love, biblically, looks practical. Love each other with the gifts that God has given you. Love each other with hospitality. Love each other by speaking the word of God to each other. Love each other. And as we love each other, as we serve each other, God grows a love in us for each other. And yes, we will still mess up and sin against each other. Every so often, we'll say the wrong thing. We'll do the wrong thing. We'll use our time in a way that others disagree with. We'll upset each other. But you know what? If you are focused on loving each other, if you're living in a community of love, then those little sins are covered over by a generous love. And that's one of the things that I absolutely love about St. Michael's. This is a people who do love each other, who serve each other, who are in each other's lives, who honour each other, who take time for each other. And I've found over the last almost three years that God has grown such a heart of love in me for you guys. Sometimes I stand up here and, oh, I, I, I love how he's moving you forward in faith. I love how you're reaching out of the gospel. I love how you're partnering together. It's such a joy, and Charles will say the same, it's just such a joy to be part of, of, of your lives and to see what he's doing. It's an absolute joy and a complete privilege. So love one another. Here's number four, uh, from verses 12 to 18. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Don't be surprised. I remember... Uh, many years ago, playing a game of rugby where I was stuck in a scrum. I think I was stuck in a ruck, actually, and my scrum cap was pulled violently off my face by uh, a guy from another school, and I came out of the ruck, and I, I think it is a, there's some penalty or something. game had stopped, and, and I was furious, you know. I was just red in the face that this guy had had abused me in this way and pulled my scrum cap off like this and I just vented to the rest of my team. Now, who does he think he is? And Richard Lemkis, my scrum half, said to me, Guy, this is rugby. (laughs) You should expect that. And what is your problem? And I want to say that to you today. When you experience suffering, 
Brothers and sisters, you have Christ in you and he's divisive. Expect that. Don't be surprised. In fact, if that's not happening, then be worried. Worried that that magnet has lost its power or you aren't showing it to others. Expect suffering. Here's the very last one. We need to wrap up right here. Uh, In fact, this is a great summary for the whole letter. This is verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Through this whole letter, Peter said, live great lives in front of those around you so that they'd see something in you and start asking questions and then you can share Jesus. And he said that's going to mean the church growing because people come to faith and attracted. And he said that's going to mean suffering because people are repelled by Christ. And he finishes off by saying, carry on going. When suffering comes, carry on going. If it's the will of God for you to stay in that place and by prayer you're sure of it, Stay there and carry on going. Don't stop. Carry on. Living those great lives. Speaking out for Jesus. Seeing people come to faith in him. And suffering. Let's pray.